Hey everyone, Adam here. The final stretch, second last sermon ever for Trinity Life? I don't know. Close. We'll see what we do at our final party together. Anyways, we we're talking about being friends in Destiny, and the worship service is on. They've dedicated the wall and the gates and the priests, and we're talking about what it looks like to continue service at the temple today. Now, we, as humans, as we talked about this a little bit last week, uh, or a few weeks ago, connecting ourselves to a higher purpose can actually lead to um, uh, lower mortality rate, which is crazy, right? We have inside of us, this is the image of God inside of us, screaming to get out, longing for purpose, right? This is... This is a groan that every 15 to 25 year old has. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? Now, there's your uh, destiny and then there's your influence, right? Your destiny, all Christians share. Your influence is the unique way that you live out your identity and destiny. But we have a shared destiny as Christians. And every person eventually reaches that point in their life where it's groaning to be discovered in them, right? And at that certain age, right, in North America, it's 15 to 25, that decision is forced upon you whether you like it or not because you gotta, you gotta like get into college and get your job going and figure it out, kid, right? And it's a tough decision, man. I remember that was, I was like, I'm not ready for this. Like life sucks at home. Life sucks in general. There's only generally one place that I like to be. And that's at my computer playing video games. And you're telling me to just be happy anyways. And that's the only thing that makes me happy. So I think I'll just do that for the rest of my life. Right? It's really tough to figure out, what am I supposed to do? I felt like I didn't know anything about the world anyways. How was I supposed to navigate my way through it? Parents, you have a very important job. I don't know if you know. We often think about this word destiny, destiny in kind of fairy tale language, right? Like only de- Disney characters really get to experience and live out their destiny and discover it. You know, as they save the world or do something really cool, right? But in fact, I'm here today to tell you that destiny is what you were made for. See, it's part of being an image bearer of God that you have a destiny that you get to tap into. And for the Christian, our destiny, along with like we talked about last week, our identity is to be found in Christ. This is what we've talked about from day one at Trinity Life Church, right? That we are to discover identity and destiny in Christ. Not for no reason. In order to influence our city and the world. That carries on. That's just a reframing of the Great Commission. It's the same thing, right? Make disciples. You know, someone taught you your identity in Christ because they discipled you. They taught you about your destiny in Christ because they discipled you. And you're meant to go out and make disciples of the whole world. Same thing. <clears throat> in two weeks, Trinity Life Church will die and be planted as a seed in the ground to produce yet more fruit. 
Here's the catch. We see the organizational walls folding and dying. But the real truth is, you are Trinity Life Church. You are the seed that needs to die to discover its destiny. You are the seed being planted in order to bear multiplied fruit. And so, I would implore you, be planted in your identity. Be planted in your destiny. Influence the city and the world for Jesus, no matter where you are. You guys remember The Lion King? I love that movie. See, Simba was destined to be king. To rule over the Pride Lands. But an evil, malevolent family, family member robs him of his identity and murders his father. He has trouble accepting it, right? His identity and destiny. He, is, he, he tried to live free and independent with these kooky, goofy, weirdo friends that he has, right? And he has to be convinced by this crazy monkey named Rafiki to go searching out his father, right? He says, I can't see him. I can't find him. I don't know. Rafiki says, look harder. And he finally sees. And he finally knows. And he finally is able to live into that destiny. But it's a battle. And it's not won easily. His rightful place, he had to fight for it. But eventually, life, thriving, and abundance could return to Pride Rock. Could return to the Pride Lands. Because he stood firm in his identity and got to chase after and battle for his destiny. In Nehemiah, they were destined to live out their identity as God's people. Clean, purified, forgiven, new, restored, empowered, ready for worship, fun, abundance, blessing. That was their identity. Let's check out how this plays out, right? How does it play out in their destiny? What do they do? On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather them into the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. This is very interesting. Okay, so what's going on here? How are they living out their destiny? How is their identity impacting their destiny? What they're to live into? Okay, so first off, we see they're appointed men. Okay, so they lived appointed. This is your duty. This is your task. Right? They were generous. They were generous people. Storerooms, contributions, first fruits, tithes gathered up the portions required by the law. Okay? First fruits and the tithe. They gave their first and they gave at least 10%. Okay? Remember, off the gross, not the net. Where you go, please be marked as a people of generosity. They were good stewards in that regard. It was required by the law, and the priests and the Levites had to do it according to fields in the towns. <clears throat> and so this took, this was a great logistical effort, and they had to learn how to store things properly and how to separate properly and how to uh, 
you know, that's everybody just comes and they give and they drop everything off. Like this is a logistical effort and they have to be good stewards of people and the resources in which they're entrusted with. They obeyed the scriptures. This is required by the law. This is how they live out in their destiny. They obeyed the scriptures. They honored spiritual authority, right? This is, they rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. When was the last time you celebrated a leader? It doesn't happen much, right? It doesn't happen much. Remember the trucker protests, the flags? What do they say about Trudeau on those flags? I'm not saying whether he did or didn't deserve it. That is not how we honor. It's not a culture of honor. Right? Those people may have been right. But it wasn't lived out honorably per se. Right? Now they were trying to honor something they believed in that was higher than that individual. But we won't get into the mud and the thick of all that. We want to see a culture of honor at least grow in the church. Because we won't much see it outside the church anymore. But we were, Emily and I, we were in Calgary. Um, it would have been last week at the time of this recording, but it would be about, I don't know, six or uh, maybe ten weeks out from the time that you guys view this. Um, and we were with with a group. This is a church planting group, group of pastors and, and uh, ministry leaders. And... Um, kind of the the leader of this group said um, that a much, much, much older, more influential leader than him had once said to him about the nation of Canada that the church in Canada was the second worst country in terms of a culture of honor in the whole world. Second worst. That means... We're the second least honorable church in the world in terms of a culture of honor and respect for those who lead and those who serve. And that, I was bawling. This is in the first hour of our meeting. I was bawling, especially because of what we've been through as a church. There was no honor in it on all sides. And it was devastating to hear that. Also a little bit affirming that we were fighting against a current that we did not understand at all. And he said the solution was, the solution generally is to be firm in your identity in Christ because sons honor the father. The father honors the sons. And the dynamic between in spiritual community, between those who disciple and those who are being discipled is oftentimes much like that of a father and a son, right? See, Paul says like this, you have many guides in Christ, but you have very few fathers, right? There's a culture of honor. Verse 45, and they performed the service of their God 
and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. So what do they do? How do they live out their destiny? How did their destiny, their identity inform their destiny, who they were inform what they lived into? They served the community and they helped the mission to see all purified. So they did. How are you doing? How are you doing with that? What is your identity? What is the answer to the question, who are you? Say, well, what you should be doing. And do you join in in the work? Do you serve? And do you join the mission to see the city know Jesus? Is it, or is it easier to get caught up with going to work, doing church, worrying about your problems? Right? And do you, at the least push forward those who are serving and trying to do the work? Or do you kind of pull them back to serve you and your life and your mission to make you comfortable? I think the worst thing that ever happened to churches were suburbs and suburbians and suburbia, right? Because you grow up upper middle class, everything's about you, everything's to serve you, everything. Uh, You ever been in a place where there's just big churches everywhere? Right? I was literally, went to this one church once, parked, right? And uh, I was being driven around because we were staying at someone else's house. And the golf cart comes around, picks us up from the parking spot and drives us to the front door of the church building because they've got massive parking lots. Like, and you wonder why we got an obesity problem in the in North America is because we can't even walk across the parking lot to go to church to worship Jesus. Suburbs. Serve. Don't aim to be served. And you know why? You know why it's like that? Because you gotta compete. You gotta compete with all the other churches, church organizations. So you got to have the best of this. You got to have the best of that. You got to have the best of this. So you can attract people to what you're doing, right? And you have to then serve those people so they will come to your thing. Because people will go to the thing where they are most served and where they feel most comfortable. And the worst offending places of this, in my opinion, are suburbs. (laughs) So if you're from the suburbs, you're welcome. For a little offense in your life, you could probably use it. Verse 46. Because notice this is, uh, just because I like to beat a dead horse. This is in an urban environment. This is in a city, right? Service is necessary in a city and and a city will make you a servant or you will make other people your servants. For the Christians, the only option is to serve. This is in an urban environment, the city of God, the city of Jerusalem. Watch out for the suburbs. All right. Because you'll go there. It's got cheaper. Like, I'd rather live in rural spots or urban environments. (laughs) I told that to someone. They're like, yeah, that's because you are the person that will not conform. I was like, ah, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway. Okay, verse 46. 
onwards and upwards. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions. Um, I, oh, sorry, 46 and stop. Ready? For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God, period. Let's stop there. Okay, first off, number one, they appreciated the legacy that went before them, right? Long ago in the days of David, they honored the legacy that went before them. There's nothing funnier, and this has happened in the life of Trinity Life, there's nothing funnier than a 22-year-old who's been at Trinity Life for a year and a half or two years, who, um, let's say, has only been around, uh, it's, let's say it's about five, year five. I'm, I'm speculating a situation. Those situations, basically exactly like this, have happened. Been around for about, you know, the church has been around for about five years. This person's around for about two or a year and a half to two years, right? They're in their young 20s. And we go to change something at Trinity Life. And they say, whoa, whoa, we can't change that. This is how we've always done it. You, you, you don't know how we've always done it. And we haven't been doing it very long for to ever have say anything as ghastly as this is how we've always done it. Right? First off, they couldn't even honor a five-year legacy, let alone a hundred-year legacy, right? Like that's how impatient and irreverent our culture is, right? They want to hold on to things that they really love, they don't care about what people who've gone before them are trying to do. And imagine that in the span of five years versus things that have been going on for a hundred years. See, we don't understand why we're, we are the way we are today. See, there are things that have happened, things that build on things, historical events, uh, ways of thinking, people who have fought hard, died, and bled for the, for the world to be the way that it is. And we criticize and we dishonor and we disrupt things very easily, very quickly. And we have no regard and no honor for the things that have gone before us. These people living out their destiny are attempting to honor the legacy of those who've gone before them. <clears throat> and part of that legacy is singing. Part of that legacy is thanksgiving. And so God's people, as they live out their destiny, they should sing and they should be a people marked by thankfulness. Thankfulness. There's nothing worse than when you give something to a child and they say, I can't believe it doesn't have this. You're like, hold on a second. A second ago, you had nothing. Now you have something. And you can't even be thankful for the something. <laughs> there has to be something wrong with it. Like, nothing, you're right. Nothing was, nothing was better. Because you weren't a complainer and I wasn't angry at you for trying to bless you and being criticized for it, 
right? That's something children do, right? But God's people are marked by thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Verse 47. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions of the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Okay, what's going on here? Uh, so they're setting apart the daily portions, right? And you got to pay people to do their jobs, right? So it's okay the pastors get paid. It's okay that churches have ministry staff who get paid. And they get paid out of your tithes and offerings. That's how it goes. You give your money to the Lord. The spiritual headship over you, the leaders, divide out those resources to accomplish the mission of God. And oftentimes, major parts of church budgets are assigned to personnel who will do large portions of the work to make your life easier, to make the mission easier for you to engage in, to resource you, to empower you, to relationally be there for you and equip you. That's how it goes, right? And that's okay. That's the way it is. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it always will be. Okay? But in that dynamic, they have national corporate unity. Unity. In all Israel, in all Israel, they gave national corporate unity. That's beautiful. And what was that unity about? National corporate unity? What was it about and for? To bless the leaders. To make sure they didn't feel taken advantage of or overlooked overworked I wanted to bless their leaders you are going on to a new community maybe with some or all of the people around you in the room you have a choice what will this next season look like for you will it be that of Appointing men for service that are generous, that are good stewards, that obey the scriptures, that honor spiritual authority, that serve the community, that help the mission, that appreciate the legacy that went before you, that um, participates in singing and thanksgiving, that brings about national corporate unity and blessing towards the leaders? What will you do in your next season as you act out your destiny? What will you act out? What will you choose? Ultimately, you choose it. You choose it. This is what Jesus decided to do. You sinned against God. God created all things. God created it good. He said, very good. Good. Created man. Breathed life into him. He did it with the dirt, sweat, blood of his own hands. Man curses God. Steps away from God. Turns away from God. God chooses to bless, cover the shame and grief of that and go on a on an amazingly beautiful rescue mission. This story of which is a part of that rescue mission. Restoring the temple is essential so that Jesus can come. The worship of God is essential so that Jesus could come. This is all so that Jesus could come. To give you salvation for your soul. So that you could be reconciled back to your heavenly father. So that you who are set apart from God could be brought close to God. So that you who are deaf, dumb, and blind could be 
seeing, knowing, and hearing of the love and voice of your Father who made you, who knows you, who loves you. I want that to be a reality for you. I want you to receive your identity. I want you to live in your destiny. And that is only possible uh, possible when you submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, when he dies on a cross in your place for your sins, give you new life. Hopefully the community that you are part of in the future embraces that, desires that, chases after that, shares that, celebrates that, sings to that, and is in thanksgiving to that reality that is yours. Your destiny is to be in Christ, an ambassador for Christ, a minister of reconciliation, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the household of God, the family of God. All those beautiful things. That is your destiny. That is what you're supposed to live into. That is what you're supposed to act out. That is the story. That story is ours. It's ours, friend. Live it out wherever you go. As you transition, what parts of your identity and destiny will come to the foreground? How will your next community benefit from you living into your destiny? I'm excited to find out. I'm excited to hear stories. I hope you email me. I can't wait to hear about it. I love you. I bless you. Have fun unpacking this in your R3. Guys, we are almost there. Let's continue on for the last few weeks, couple weeks together as a community before we enter into a new season together in Christ. I love you. See you soon.